Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks again for being here, guys. And, you know, uh, really enjoy the time we get to spend together and the time and the word that we get to spend. And uh, this uh, semester, we're doing a neat series. I think it's neat. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. We're going through the books of the Bible in RUF. And so we uh, started with Genesis and then Exodus, and now tonight we come to Leviticus, the forgotten book, the book that everyone quits on when they read the Bible, because it is difficult to understand. So I'm excited to look at it tonight. And if you haven't been here, just to kind of recap where we've been so far, we started in, uh, I guess it was like three weeks ago now, in the book of Genesis. And uh, we looked at the story of the fall, the creation and the fall, how God uh, created a good world and we were meant for a good world and a good life with our creator. And we saw how sin entered the world in that story and how everything in our world is now tainted by sin. And, uh, and yet we saw God make a promise to save. Even in the midst of rebellion of God's people, he made a promise to save through a descendant of Eve. And if, you know, you read on through Genesis, what happens is it starts to trace out this line, the descendants of Eve uh, through Abraham specifically. It's following this family, Abraham's family, which becomes a big family. It's called Israel. And then uh, last time we were together, two weeks ago, we looked at the Exodus, the story of how this same family was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And they grew and they grew and they grew. And then God saved them. He set them free from slavery to be his people uh, to accomplish the mission, you know, because the promise still stood. I'm going to save the world through this family. I'm going to extend my kingdom through this family. And what we saw is that God does it all. Uh, They didn't do anything to save themselves. God does it all. And now we come tonight to this uh, challenging book, the book of Leviticus. And we, I think we find it burdensome because it's got all these laws and they're very specific and they're about things like food and clothing and offerings and sacrifices and washings. And uh, when we read it, we typically think of it as tedious and kind of a burden. But what I want to show you tonight is that God's people, when they received this book, would have considered it a great blessing. And we're going to look specifically at this passage about the Day of Atonement uh, in Israel, the laws about the Day of Atonement. So I'm going to read from Leviticus 16. I'm going to jump around a little Uh, to give us a summary of what's going on here. So uh, Leviticus 16, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. 
He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Skipping to verse 20, it says, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And now to verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath day of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Uh, let me pray for us as we look at this challenging passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, be with us now. Send your spirit to guide us as we look at your word, uh, a word that uh, you gave to your people long, long ago. And uh, we pray that we would uh, be able to extract the meaning of it and what it means for us today. Uh, would you guide us and would you apply it to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so one of the great movies of, you know, my era that's still on TV once a year, every year, is Independence Day with Will Smith. Anybody seen Independence Day with Will Smith? It's on every 4th of July. Uh, It's an old movie. It's the story of aliens coming to destroy the Earth. And so what happens is these huge, gigantic alien spaceships show up above Earth. And through these, like, energy beams, they just obliterate, like, Washington, D.C. and New York and L.A. in an instant. They're just gone. Millions are dead. And it happens to be right around Independence Day. And uh, what the people find out is that the aliens are planning to just destroy everyone on Earth. And so the U.S. military decides, like, we're going to attack them and we're going to use all our nuclear weapons. And they do nothing. Like, nothing. They have, like, force fields and shields and stuff. And... Uh, nothing happens. They try this attack and it doesn't work and then there's just despair. Uh, In the movie, Jeff Goldblum plays a scientist and he's the one who's trying to help them figure out how to destroy the aliens and it didn't work. And so he does what anyone might do on the verge of the end of the earth as we know it. He gets hammered. And, And then he's lying in a stupor on the floor and his father comes into the room and finds him hungover and you know, just talking about how there's no hope and nothing. And his father says, this is amazing. He's like, well, get up off the floor. You're going to catch a cold. And then Jeff Goldblum's like, what did you say? And he's like, I said, you're going to catch a cold. And he's like, 
I can give the aliens a virus. <laughs> and then they, it's the start of this plan where they're going to like upload a virus to the alien spaceships. And they happen to have like one of the alien spaceships of the, that crash that they can use to uh, fly up there. And a plan starts to take place. And, you know, there, there's now a way that can work that they can live that they can get rid of the aliens. Uh, that, and the movie gets better and better. And there's more and more hope uh, from this moment on when there's an actual plan, something that can work. And uh, I want you to think about the book of Leviticus as the plan. Uh, like, you know, it's answering the question of like, all right, God saved us from Egypt and he led us out into the wilderness, but how can we live with him? Like, how is life with God going to work? He's in our midst. Uh, and can God really use us to save the world? How could he possibly do that? Uh, how could he use us to extend his kingdom? Uh, because Israel isn't in the wilderness long before they start messing up again. Uh, in Leviticus 10, prior to this, it mentions it. Uh, two priests are consumed by fire uh, because they mess something up. And so the book of Leviticus and this chapter in particularly, the Day of Atonement in chapter 16, lay out the specifics of a plan for how life with God can actually work, uh, how God's people can be used by him to extend his kingdom. And for us, you know, we also wonder, you know, how is this going to work? Or maybe you're here tonight and you wonder, like, how is the Bible, like, workable for me in my life today in this world? Uh, can his kingdom expand today through us? And Leviticus shows us how. So what I want to show us, what it shows us is the holiness of God. It shows us the remedy for sinners and finally the assurance that we need of forgiveness. So first of all, I want us to think about the holiness of God in this passage. Um, You know, the main barrier for us when we think about living life with God, intimately with God, is holiness. Uh, we looked at the story a few weeks ago of Adam and Eve's rebellion. And the problem there is that once sin entered the world, uh, God can't exist with sin. Uh, it created a barrier, a physical barrier. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, in the Bible, when people meet God, they tremble with fear. Uh, they freak out. Uh, you know, God can't be in the presence of sin uh, because he's holy. Now, what is holiness? Uh, it's a word that literally means set apart. So in this passage, what you see is there's a lot of things, there's like garments that are called holy. And it's because they're, you know, it's not because like God created them, but it's because they've been set apart uh, as holy. And there's all kinds of objects and things in, the, in this book that are called holy. And God says they're set apart. He says, my people are holy because they're set apart. But there's one exception to that, which is God himself. Uh, God's very nature sets himself apart. Uh, God is the only holy one who's holy uh, in and of himself. He's the one who makes everything else holy, sets everything else apart, because he, by his very nature, is holy, meaning two things. It means he has great power and he has great purity. Uh, He has amazing power, power that can create worlds And he has this pristine moral purity. He is goodness. He is pure goodness. You know, and we don't, that doesn't exist. You know, there are powerful people. Vladimir Putin is a powerful person. 
uh, and he is one of the worst people, right? And there's a lot of really morally pure people who have very little power, uh, but holiness, you know, what it means to be holy is to be uh, exceedingly powerful, yet so, 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 so good. So, 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 so morally pure. That's who God is. And so for God's people to live with this God in their midst, they need to be morally pure. It won't work unless they're morally pure, which hence the sacrifices and the washings. And then there's these food laws and other highly specific uh, rituals in the book of Leviticus that are serving the purpose of making, keeping God's people set apart from the world, keeping them distinct so that they can be the ones he uses uh, to expand his kingdom. And, you know, the cherry on top is this. It's the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, this ceremony with the washings, uh, with the very specific clothing. And the point is, the point of the specificity and the detail is, don't forget for a second that God is holy. In everything you do, like everything you're doing, don't forget, don't mindlessly go about life in God's world, in his presence, forgetting that he's the powerful and pure king. That's what Leviticus is about. If you lose your holiness, if you lose your distinctness, you will fail to reflect God's holiness to the world that desperately needs to know, that desperately needs him. Uh, life will not go the way it's supposed to go when we forget his holiness. Uh, you know, and we'll get to this in a little while, but Jesus has made it so we don't need sacrifices anymore, thank God. But I wonder if you ever consider the holiness of God as you go about your day. Such power, such purity. I wonder if we considered the holiness of God more, if it might change the way we live. Um, you know, when it's time to confess your sins, do you ever run out of sins to confess? Or do you wonder, you know, have I sinned much? And, you know, if you run out of sins to confess, what you're showing is that you are failing to grasp the depths of his holiness. Uh, how we fall short in every dimension of life constantly because he is that powerful and that pure. So that's the holiness of God. But I want to look now at the remedy for sinners that's offered in this passage. And, you know, what this passage shows is amazingly God wants us. He wants us. Uh, and the way he can have us is through this process called atonement. Uh, God in his grace provides a way to take care of both the wrath that sin deserves and the impurity that sin causes through being willing to accept a substitute instead. You know, you could boil down the Christian faith to, you know, it means needing a substitute and getting a substitute. And so in the book of Leviticus, there's all kinds of sacrifices. You know, if you sin, here's the sacrifice you can do. And then once a year, we're going to have a day of atonement where we're going to like really do it. And that's going to make, that's going to cover everything we missed. You know, it's like every last speck of sin is going to be accounted for because on the one day you're going to top it off with the day of atonement so that everything is accounted for. And so one of the aspects of it was the high priest. There was one representative that would go in on behalf of the people uh, into the tabernacle, into the most holy place, the holy of holies. Only one day a year could one person go in to represent the people, this high priest, and he would wear a simple linen outfit. 
Uh, I don't know if you're like really into fashion of the ancient Near East, but uh, linen garments were servant clothes, common clothes. So normally a high priest would wear like dope robes and uh, like royal garments and stuff. Uh, But for this day, he would put on these linen garments that were common clothes to go into the Holy of Holies. And uh, there was washing after washing after washing. Did you notice? It's like everything needs to be washed. Uh, There's all these animal sacrifices for his own sin and for the sin of the people and for like the objects in the room that have been touched by sinners and uh, everything needs to be accounted for. And it says it'll be a statute forever. Like every year we're going to need this. Like this isn't going to go away. Uh, We're going to need this every year. And so that's what the high priest does on behalf of the people. And he goes in and there's this radical confession of sin. It uh, talks about how there's two goats and one is sacrificed for the sins of the people and, uh, you know, to make atonement for this place and the altar. And uh, it talks about, you know, it says afflict yourself. Did anybody find that weird when it said afflict yourself? Uh, it's kind of, it's a way of saying like humble yourself. Uh, it's about the posture you bring. And um, what it's talking about is that, you know, if if you don't, bring humility to this like you won't understand anything relating to god uh we confess we humble ourselves we bow down because there is a second goat and the second goat carries it all away you know it's like it's not going to get carried away from from you unless you confess it unless you come humbly And so in verse 21, it says, the sins of Israel are confessed over this goat. And he puts his hands on that goat's head and confesses all the sins. Imagine if that happened with our sins tonight. Someone stood up here with a goat and was like, God, they're greedy. And we're all prideful. We're all full of lust. We're all full of self-consumption. We looked at everything else to save us but you. And they just went on and on, listing all our sins. See, we don't sense his forgiveness because we often don't think about our need to be forgiven much. Or if we do, we think, oh, there's just a few things because we've forgotten about the holiness of God. So, you know, we need to say our sins. You know, this is an invitation to just say them all because they're taken away. You know, if you say them, then they're taken away. Jesus takes them away. In this case, the goat uh, takes them away. Literally, the scapegoat takes them away from the people of God forever. And that's where we get to the assurance of forgiveness that this brings. And this is what we desperately need, right? We need to know. We need to know, like every day, every hour, that we've been forgiven, that we stand holy before the Lord. Uh, there's a great movie from a few years ago, New England movie called Manchester by the Sea. Anybody seen this movie? Amazon Prime has it, I believe. A really powerful movie. Sad movie. Don't watch it if you want to laugh, but watch it if you want to cry. Um, it's a story of a guy who, uh, he's responsible for the death of his kids in an accident, but it's totally his fault. And he's left town. You know, he's from Manchester by the Sea in Massachusetts. He moves away, but uh, the, some circumstances bring him back to his hometown. And so he has to face... You know, small town, everyone knows what he did, and he just, it's awful to face his past knowing that he did something so horrible. 
And so it's about guilt. It's about living. How do you live with guilt? You know, how do you come back from that? You couldn't even keep your own kids safe. That's a picture of us. You know, like the real reason we all avoid God, the real reason that we reject God is because we think we're too bad for him. Like he must, I've done too much bad stuff and he doesn't want me. That's why we sin. That's why we avoid him uh, because we think, no, there's no way. Like me, no. Through atonement though, we can know that we're forgiven and begin to act like we're forgiven. You know, the old, where this passage points us and where every passage in the Old Testament points us to is Jesus. Uh, I love, you know, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes about Jesus uh, taking on the form of a servant. You know, it talks about him becoming, you know, the journey from heaven to earth to become a man. It says he took on the form of a servant, just like the high priest did in this passage. Jesus was becoming a high priest. That's what happened when he came to earth. He became a high priest. He came looking like a poor person. Uh, Jesus had absolute purity. No one could find anything wrong with him. Uh, And instead of needing an animal, Jesus was the sacrifice. And when Jesus died, the curtain of the Holy of Holies, the one that the high priest went through once a year, in the temple ripped from top to bottom as he cried out, as he died, symbolizing that there's now no more need for atonement. Jesus is everything to forgiveness. Like you, the reason we talk about Jesus constantly in RUF and we never stop talking about him is because he's everything to relating to God. You can't relate to God without him because of the holiness of God, because of the sin of God's people. And we often, what we try to do is we try to relate to him without a substitute. It doesn't work. You won't love him unless you need a substitute. You won't want to relate to him unless you know that he has substituted for you through Jesus. And there's good news in this passage, which is that Jesus' sacrifice works for all time. There's no more of this once a year thing. It's it happened and it's over. It's finished. Uh, in this passage, you know, the high priest would put on the servant clothes, right? The linen garments for the ceremony. And then he, when it was over, he would put on the royal robes again, the fancy garments. And that was an illustration for forgiveness, that it worked. There's a pastor who says, God's forgiveness turns a beggar into a rich man. Now that's what it's symbolizing. You put on the rich clothes again, you've been forgiven. Uh, being forgiven by God is like winning the lottery. Like imagine if you won the lottery tonight. What if someone walked in here and was like, you know, Ben, there's Ben Grammarosa here. Powerball called, uh, you won a billion, billion dollars. What would happen? Like, Ben wouldn't go to class tomorrow, I don't think. <laughs> you know, like, he wouldn't worry about his GPA anymore, I don't think. Like, there would be all these effects of being rich instantly. And what I want to tell you is that being one of Jesus' people makes you rich instantly. You got it all right now. Cosmically rich. The Holy One knows you and loves you. 
and you won't have to act like you got it all together right now. Like you would have nothing to prove to anyone if you really knew, if you were assured that you had been forgiven, you won the cosmic lottery, uh, think of the defensiveness that would go away. You know, <laughs> Lucas is an idiot. I don't care what you think about me. Jesus loves me. You know, think about the hiding we do that we wouldn't do anymore. I'm worried that you guys will think I'm a failure. I'm worried that you'll see how bad I am and won't like me. That goes away when we've won the cosmic lottery. You know, who cares what people think about you? If you have the, the love and delight of the king. Uh, if you're rich, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have your life figured out. <laughs> you know, like if Ben, if the, if the billion thing happened, like, it wouldn't be like, oh no, what am I going to do with my future, right? It's the same way with Jesus. Uh, and if you're rich, if you're cosmically rich, you can take a whole day off. Do you notice how it talks about the Sabbath day in there? You know, think about the Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. God commands it for his people. And the reason he commands his people to rest once a week and on these holidays is that rest forces you, like when you're forced to rest, you're forced to remember that you've won the lottery. (laughs) You're forced to remember that you don't need anything but Jesus. You definitely don't need whatever the work is going to get you. Because you got Jesus. So what's the message behind all of Leviticus? Uh, the message is you have a holy father who loves you and wants to be with you forever. And there is a way. And the way is Jesus. And you need to cling to him. Uh, you need to let him make you holy so that you can live all of life with God forever. So he can use you to glorify his name. Uh, so let's pray in closing that God would do that for us uh, now. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do confess that we're full of sin. Uh, we are always devising ways to keep you out of our lives, uh, to live life apart from you. Uh, we love many things more than you, although you've created us in love. Uh, We hate people often, people who are created in your image. Uh, We look everywhere for happiness but you, and you offer yourself to us so plainly. And we pray uh, that you would forgive our sin, that you would change our hearts, and that we would walk forever in the assurance of your love, of your forgiveness and that we would be transformed. Help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.